Revelation chapter 2. We're reading uh, the portion of Revelation 2 that has to do with the church at Pergamos, and uh, we've covered this in a couple of sermons, but I wanted to finish up today because uh, there is so much in this letter to the church at Pergamos. Beginning in chapter 2 and verse 12, the Lord Jesus Christ says to John, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth. Thus far the reading of God's word. Uh, We have seen up to now that some in the church were uh, seeing, reviving rather old heresies. Uh, This doctrine of Balaam that we looked at last time, uh, as we saw, is a doctrine of compromise uh, with the world. Uh, And it's... uh, in Pergamos, uh, the, the people were embracing the doctrine of Balaam and also the Nicolaitans. Uh, and we said the Nicolaitans were the hippies of, of their, their time. Uh, and uh, the, they called themselves Christians, but they believed in free love and various other uh, libertine-type doctrines. Uh, the doctrine of Balaam uh, said that it was lawful to eat things sacrificed to idols, even though the Uh, Church Council of Jerusalem had said it was not for that time. Uh, They said that uh, false doctrine, they had this false doctrine, and it uh, led to false worship and impure practices, just as Balaam did to the Israelites that we looked at last time. And we said that filthiness of the mind leads to filthiness of the flesh, uh, which is the usual pattern of heresy, it leads to strife and divisions. Uh, now, these heretics didn't want to say, well, yes, what we're proposing is actually an ancient heresy. It's been condemned by the church uh, for a long time. Uh, 
you know, you never hear people admit that. Even the modern day heretics um, that are reviving ancient heresies, the Jehovah's Witnesses are just a, a very ancient heresy of Arianism. Um, but they won't say, well, yeah, we're Arians, and that was condemned by the church uh, many years ago. Uh, did I tell you what happened to Arius? Some of you know what happened to Arius. Arius was uh, the bishop of Alexandria, and uh, he and uh, um, Athanasius, who was the biblically-based bishop, uh, were uh, Athanasius was fighting for the truth, uh, the scripture, the truth of the scripture, the uh, Trinitarian uh, idea, the idea of God as, as, a, uh, as uh, three persons and, and one God. Uh, Arius was saying, no, that's, that's, not, uh, what, uh, that's not what we should believe. And if Arius had won, uh, the, the uh, church today would not be uh, you know, biblical, it would be heretical. Uh, but Arius did win, basically. He was victorious. The uh, bishops, all the other bishops, virtually except Athanasius, accepted his heresy. And he was uh, 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 going to become, become the, uh, basically the, the pope of the time. This is before they had popes. But he was going to rule the whole Christian church. They had a big, uh, he came into uh, Alexandria... A uh, big procession, a big parade, like a ticker tape parade, basically, of uh, what, he, what he had. Uh, and this is his historical fact. This is not a myth. This is, uh, this is quite well substantiated that he came uh, in the middle of this ticker tape parade. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've got a, some severe stomach cramps, and I have to go to the washroom. So he, goes, he gets off his chariot, and the whole parade stops, and he goes into the latrine, and they're waiting for him and waiting for him. And he doesn't come out. And so they finally go in, see what the problem is, and they find him. He had ruptured uh, and fell headlong into this latrine, which is a, a trench full of sewage, and died. Drowned in sewage. And everybody said this is a sign from God that what he taught was sewage. (laughs) Or you can think of other words for it. And that completely changed the whole outlook of the church. And they accepted Athanasius and the Trinitarian view uh, of God. Uh, So these heretics... Um, come and go, but and, and at certain times we'll see certain heresies pushed, uh, and other times it'll be different heresies that are pushed. Uh, we have in the Reformed Church churches today we have a, a heresy that's a very old heresy, uh, and it goes by various names: uh, Federal Vision, New Perspective on Paul. You know they, you know, tips you off right there when they say it's new, right? The New Perspective on Paul. They they actually say that the. Uh, 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 understanding of Paul has has never been correct up until you know about the year 2000. Uh, so all these uh, theologians in past times just didn't quite get it. Um, well, people want to have their ears tickled. Second Timothy 4:3. For the time will come when they will not endure people in the 
you know, Christians essentially, and, and those who sit in the pulp, in the uh, pews, will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. They have itching ears. They have something new. You know, well, I've heard the gospel before. I want some new, fresh interpretation of the gospel that'll make me excited again. Um, Another example is in Acts 17, verse 21. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. I always want to hear some new thing to get excited about. Um, Well, Christ reproves them, reproves the church at Pergamos for allowing these heretics to remain in the church. Um, interesting that Pergamos in Greek uh, has several meanings uh, married uh, married to um, power and actually it originally came from uh, my understanding of it married to the tower Pergos means tower Gamos means married but the tower represents power uh, because ancient Babylonian priests moved from Babylon when the Medes and Persians conquered Babylon to Pergamos and established the ancient Babylonian mystery religion in Pergamos. And so they brought it from uh, Babylon where uh, Semiramis and Nimrod, uh, particularly Semiramis, his wife, established the mystery religion, uh, the, the cultic pagan worship uh, and then the, when the Medes and Persians invaded Babylon, these priests brought it to uh, Pergamos and with their customs and human sacrifices and animal sacrifices uh, that originated from the Tower of Babel. So the love of the Tower of Babel, marriage to the Tower, was the beginning of pagan worship, uh, both in Babylon and then, then in Pergamos. So uh, Pergamos represented everything the original cultic priests in the in the city of Babel envisioned and and instituted uh, and later on uh, they had an influence by from Greek mythology which is also based originally comes from Babylon the Babylonian mystery religion and they were also established the Roman uh, uh, worship of the emperor uh, they actually had a, a temple that we saw um, uh, when we were in, in Pergamos a couple months ago of uh, of, of, uh, dedicated to, to the Roman emperor and he would sit there and accept worship um, so Christ reproves the church of Pergamos for allowing all this to, to go on especially in their church he didn't reprove them for that there was idolatry in the city practiced by pagans he was interested in the fact that there was heresy going on in the church uh, and there was uh, some aspects of paganism going on at the church. Uh, you know, to allow heresy in the church is like, as we said last time, leaven in bread. You know, you, if those of you who are bakers know you just put a little little yeast uh, in bread, and what happens? It spreads throughout the whole dough and makes the yeast rise. Uh, and it's the same thing with heresy. A little heresy in a church spreads through the whole church. Um, a little sin eventually infects the whole church. First uh, Corinthians five. Let's look at First Corinthians five because uh, this speaks directly to this. Um, 
in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you would turn there. Look at now this is about a man in the Corinthian church who was having an unlawful relationship with his stepmother. Uh, let's begin with chapter five. First uh, Corinthians five. Let's begin with uh, chapter uh, verse one. I'm sorry. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Now this is, of course, Paul talking to the church at Corinth. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned, in other words, prideful, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily as absent in the body but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And he goes on about not keeping company uh, with... and he has a whole list in verse 11 about uh, sins and certainly not to permit them to come to the Lord's table. Um, so if a church doesn't take disciplinary action against someone who's openly sinning, and it can be in their, in their actions or in their heretical views that they're espousing to people in the church, Christ, who is the head and lawgiver of the church, is going to call that church to repentance. And if it doesn't repent, as it says in in Revelation uh, 16, uh, uh, Revelation 2, verse 16, he will call them under his judgment. He calls them the repentance. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Repent, or else the world will judge you. The word will judge you. Uh, Christ said in John 12, He that rejects me and receives not my word has one that judges him the word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day see it's not enough that we keep from sinning again the Lord demands that we repent not sinning is not enough repentance is required Uh, and repentance always has to be part of our gospel message when we're witnessing to someone it's repentance of sin not just you know God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life uh, it's it's that's not necessarily true, by the way, obviously. But the the uh, uh, repentance has to be a, a major part of the gospel message. Um, another another verse that I put in here is Acts seventeen thirty. God now commands all men everywhere to repent. Now, what is repentance? Is it feeling sorry for your sins? You know, I repent of, and I feel bad about it. Well, it's more than that. 
It's, it's an active turning away from your sins to God. Almost think of it as physically turning from your sins to God. Uh, it's, and it's an individual duty, and it's also a corporate duty. A church body, for example, uh, can repent uh, um, corporately, collectively, and turn from sin uh, and, and embrace the Lord. Uh, you know, those who sin together should repent together. Uh, the Lord uh, calls uh, whole nations to repent. In Ezekiel 18.30, Therefore will I judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Speaking of the whole nation, O house of Israel, repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. We come to verse 17 in Revelation 2. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and it will give him a white stone. And in that stone, in the stone rather, a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. White stone. A new name, hidden manna. Let's look at the manna. We know what manna is. Manna was given to the Israelites in the desert as food. When they said, we, you know, we're hungry, we want food. And they were given a, a it was a substance that formed on the, in the dew of the, in the morning. And it was, uh, they said it was, it was like a, uh, I guess we call it a, a, a bread or cake-like substance, and it tasted, it tasted like it had honey in it, uh, and it sounds very good. And they could go out and collect this manna, uh, and uh, that, that was uh, sustained them uh, in the wilderness. Uh, to him that overcomes shall eat of the hidden manna, and have a new name and a white stone. Uh, in, in verse 17 in Revelation, it's explained again. Uh, he'll have a new name and a white stone which no man knoweth, uh, saving him that receives it, is the name. Uh, just as manna was given to the Israelites in the wilderness as their bread of life to sustain them physically, Christ is our manna our living bread which came down from heaven uh, it says in Matthew 4 4 John 6 31 Exodus 16 12 Christ is called the living bread whose whoever eats of this bread shall not die spiritually when I go to hell it's much much as is promised to the Ephesian church um, uh, in the letter to the Ephesians, which we read very recently, to him that overcometh, Jesus says, will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Uh, the difference there in uh, the tree of life uh, was in the middle of a more faithful, holy, and pure church in Ephesus. In Pergamos, where the church is not so faithful, holy, and pure, uh, it's in a spiritual wilderness, it will get manna, which is the food of the wilderness. So they're in the spiritual wilderness, and they're getting the manna, which was the food of the wilderness. Uh, it's the same Christ, but instead of calling himself the tree of life, as he did in Ephesus, he calls himself manna to remind them that they're still in the wilderness. They're still the church in the wilderness. Now it's hidden. 
hidden. I will give to eat of the hidden manna. Why did he say hidden manna? He just said manna. But he said hidden manna. We have to look at, you know, when you read the Bible, you say, well, why is that word there? You know, we often think, well, the Lord could have said, said it differently, but he chose not to. So what's the significance of that word? And here's a word, hidden. Do you think Christ was visible to the, most of the people in Pergamos? And they had this church there, but what were they doing? They were practicing very vile pagan rites. They said it could, uh, some historians say it was the most vile, most pagan city of the, of the ancient world, uh, the capital of evil. No, they didn't know Christ. Christ was hidden from them. Christ is hidden to the sinful world. They don't know him, nor can they know him, because 1 Corinthians 2 says he is spiritually discerned. Very important verse. Let's take a look at that, please. 1 Corinthians 2, just one verse I want you to look at, but you look at that and you understand a lot about the world when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, 2 verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned see an unbeliever can't understand the bible no matter how smart he is he or she no matter how many degrees they might have they can know the words they can memorize the words but for them to be to know, to, to receive the things of the Spirit of God, to, for them to have faith and to really to, to, to understand what the, what the Word of God is saying, the Lord has to open their eyes. They are spiritually, the words of the Scripture are spiritually discerned. So it says the last verse in that, in that chapter, but we have the mind of Christ. Unbelievers don't have the mind of Christ, but the mind of Christ is given to believers. So we can read the Word of God and understand what the message is. See, the Word of God is written to believers. It's not written to unbelievers. So, they, of course, they don't understand it because it's not a book written to them. It's only written to believers. And unless you have the spiritual ears and the spiritual eyes, it's going to just bounce right off of you. A white stone... A white stone he's going to give them. White, And it will give them a white stone with a new name written with no man knoweth, saving he that receives it. Now white stones, to know what that means, again, we have to look at history. We have to look at the culture. We talk, we've talked before about how we look at the Bible, how we interpret, especially prophecy, very difficult predictive prophecy. So one of the things we have to look at is the culture. What does a white stone mean? What did it mean to the people reading this in the first century? They knew what a white stone meant. We don't know what a white stone is. I mean, some rock out there, what does that mean to us? Well, culturally, you go back, you find out what a white stone was used for. Well, there are two purposes. Uh, in sports, he that, uh, the person that won got a white stone with his name written on it. It's like if we get a trophy today, he'd get a white stone with his name written on it um, instead of a trophy or a gold medal or a blue ribbon or something. Um, 
Second use was in civil courts when uh, people were accused of crimes. A white stone was given to someone if he was found not guilty to show people I was not guilty. And if somebody says, well, what did the court say? And, well, I wasn't guilty. Well, I got the stone to prove it. The court gave me the stone. Probably had some sort of inscription on it indicating it was from the court. Uh, but he was condemned, got a black stone. Uh, you, you've heard of the practice of drawing stones. You know, you know, we're, we're going to like drawing straws, but they draw it a lot with white and black stones. Uh, they had a bunch of white stones with one black stone in it, and everybody reached in and drew it to, you know, to do some horrible thing or something that nobody wanted to do. And the one that got the black stone, he's the guy who's supposed to supposed to carry it out. Um, The new name. The new name. Names were, of course, as we know, much more culturally significant in the Bible than they are today. Uh, names communicated a meaning. They don't communicate a meaning anymore in our culture, but they did in that culture. A name meant something. You've seen lists of baby names, for example, and what they mean. It's all ancient stuff. Uh, but you know, today you tell somebody your name, that doesn't tell you anything about their character. Uh, but back then, uh, for example, King Saul, the first king of Israel, Saul means asked for, asked for in, in Hebrew culture. And, of course, he was the one that the people, they wanted a king. They asked for a king. Uh, and they got the man the Lord had named asked for, Isaac. Probably most of you know what Isaac means. Laughter. Laughter, or she laughed. Because his mother laughed when she was told that at a very advanced age that she would have a son. And she laughed, so Isaac became his name. Which is, uh, Jesus, which is the Greek form of the name Joshua, literally means Savior. Uh, and, of course, we know that names were changed by God to signify that the person had changed uh, because the biblical name is so profound in its meaning. A change of name is pretty much the same thing as a change of heart. Uh, Abram became Abraham. Sarai became Sarah. Jacob became Israel. Uh, Oshia became Joshua. Their, their names were changed by God to signify what had changed in their heart. Uh, a new name is the name of adoption. Adopted persons take the name of the family into which they were adopted, right? So, it's an it's a evidence of sonship, daughtership, evidence of inheritance. The Lord, the Lord gives a new name to those he especially loves, to those that he adopts into his family. Now, he doesn't anymore say, you know, okay, uh, Craig, you're, you're now Joshua. But apparently, he, he does give us a new name, and we won't know what that name is. Maybe we will in heaven. Uh, but when, we, when he adopts us, he gives us a new name. Uh, and, of course, all faithful followers of Christ... Our sons and daughters by adoption. All will be welcomed into paradise with a new name. 
which is the family name of our Heavenly Father, uh, whether it's literal or whether that means simply that we're, we're in God's family and we have a new name spiritually. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but when we are welcomed into heaven, uh, we are indeed God's beloved children. We have his family name. We have his family name now, but more so, much more so will we know it when we're welcomed into heaven. 1 Corinthians 6, the Holy Spirit directing Paul to write, For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Our father... Is, is we're in his family he is our father in heaven our, our earthly father is in many ways a, a, an earthly representation of our heavenly father imperfectly because our earthly fathers are men and sinful and they do sinful things and the wrong thing uh, but our relationship to them uh, our father loves us and wants the best for us and chastises us. Why? Because he's mean? No, because he wants us to be better. He wants us to, 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 to live a happy life and, and one that is uh, in uh, the kind of life we should lead. And so much more so that our, our Heavenly Father does that. John 1.12 says, As many as received him, very familiar, to them gave, him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Romans 8.14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And, of course, daughters is implied in that as well. And one of my favorite verses is 1 John 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. And I'll finish with Matthew twenty-five thirty-four. The Lord Jesus Christ. Then shall the King say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's what we're going to hear when we... And her head. Let's pray. Father, indeed, we we long to hear those words. Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Wow. We, we thank Thee for sending the Lord Jesus Christ unto us for Thy Holy Spirit that dwells in the hearts of every believer. All of us that have been given new names spiritually, being part of the family of the living God. We thank Thee for the adoption as sons and daughters of Thee, Father. That Thou hast chosen us out of the world, just like 
parents go to a go to an orphanage and choose children to be their own and adopt them. This is what thou hast done for us, Father. So at one time we were alone and without hope in the world. But thou hast chosen us. Father, we continue to pray for that this good news be broadcast throughout the world, Father, that those who need to hear of their adoption in Christ be told of it. And we are the chosen vessels to do that, Father. We are the ambassadors of Christ. And we are we don't know who's been elect and who's been adopted and who won't be adopted. That's not our business to know. Our marching orders are to spread the gospel and to and to call all into the glorious liberty of the gospel of Christ, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to, as our scripture memory verse today says, Romans 10.9, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Father, we have particular prayers for our...